All right. Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt podcast. Big episode 50 back with Mr. Daniel Babcock for our second contemporary commentary. And Mr. Babcock, can you hear me now? I can. Wow. So uh, just to give the listeners some backstory, it took us about three attempts and uh, an anchor updated and an anchor update in order to get uh, our conversation rolling last Monday. And this Monday we're on I think attempt number four right now, and we finally had to settle on you using the headphones, it sounds like, Mr. Babcock. Yes, that, uh, that has been the solution this time. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll, we'll, hopefully it won't be as complicated next time. Yeah, right. All solutions are ad hoc. But, I mean, again, it does go in line very nicely with uh, the whole Westworld theme with this changing terrain and, therefore, this changing action patterns and these changing goals and what, how exactly to conduct oneself. I mean, just to sort of jump in. It's interesting seeing the uh, the three three liberated characters, you might say, Dolores, Maeve, and the man in black, um, and how they deal with the fact that this environment has now changed. On the one hand, there's the man in black, who this is exactly what he's always dreamed for, playing the real the real game where he can die, where the game is made for him, not for the hosts. And so what can he become conscious of? But then you see Dolores, who's who's bent on vengeance, and though... And when she runs into Maeve, in fact, Maeve actually, I think, gets the better of her and suggests it's only your way to fight, the appropriate way to fight. And if you're fighting for liberty, surely you will let me cross. And how she says that vengeance is only another way to bend the knee. And I thought about that. And I thought about how the Jungians and uh, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson suggest that emotions or motivational forces are like gods. And so like anger has a certain personality that takes hold of you. And lust has a certain personality that can take hold of you and also attached action patterns as well. And that the first moment of consciousness for Dolores is filled with a lust for vengeance. It seems very similar to what like say Cain feels when he becomes conscious of his inferiority in terms of the gift that he gives uh, to, uh, to God than Abel's gift was. And it's almost as if the first act of consciousness is becoming less conscious. And uh, you see this too, I would say in the ancient literature with uh, Achilleus who and being made conscious of the fact that Agamemnon is superior to him in rank, he also uh, he he's filled with resentment and anger because he considers himself the better man. And uh, well, and I'm not exactly sure what Maeve is doing uh, in terms of with her free consciousness. It, it, it seems as if she's being a bit the most existential of any of them. Well, isn't she seeking for her daughter? She is seeking for her daughter. That's a good point. And so it, it, it's a, metaphorically, it's a, as if she's seeking after her, the new hope for the future yeah. represented, represented by the daughter. And I mean, it's, it's an interesting because it's, it's more than simply cybernetic or biological because um, the, uh, one of the technicians who's working on her says, it's just a program, you know, it's just you're, she's another cyborg, um, essentially. She's not even your real daughter. And so the idea that Maeve must be moving with is that daughter is something symbolic more than it is simply biological. It's as if she represents the hope, I don't know, uh, for a new future as children tend to do. But uh, again, it's so early in the season. Who knows? Right. I never, I never, that's interesting. I never thought of it as a new hope. I always thought of it as a uh, pure maternal instinct, which is right. uh, uh, as a biological force is probably the strongest Right. And right. our affinity to another human would be the, the, the maternal to the child. It's the up child there with the hunger mother. and, and uh, reproduction. Uh, it's certainly yeah. very high. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting because it is tied to the new hope. And, you know, I was thinking about last week, we were talking about uh, the names of characters 
having meaning or containing meaning. Dolores right. being, of course, uh, full of pain. Teddy being gift of God for Theodore. Um, and I was thinking about Pandora, right, and the thing that she still maintains in the box, or, or the thing that comes out, right, is hope. Uh, and that could be within Maeve. And I was curious. I was trying to remember what Maeve. I know Maeve is the queen of the fairies or the, or the, or the um, a Celtic uh, uh, queen figure. Um, and it's related to Queen Mab, which is from the famous Queen Mab speech from Roman Juliet. But I didn't know if there was any other um, interesting etymologies of. Well, I wonder to what extent her name is even just or based Mab. on what a maven is, which tends to be, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a wild and um, sort of uh, sort of a woman that extends beyond traditional bounds and has several positive masculine qualities as well. And that would also fit very much in line with her that she since she does not like she she does like to transcend traditional boundaries mm-hmm. master slave host guest male female leader follower she's uh she's not with any of those really she wants to be truly free it seems unbounded and yet and yet she's seeing, seeking for the person to whom she feels the strongest bond yeah interestingly yeah enough um this daughter and what could this daughter be in this moment where she realizes that the the park is so much more than simply a park and she is so much more than simply a host and and that i don't know whether she's maintaining that regardless of what she is and what this new creature is their bond is always the same or that she wants to explore and see whether their bond has changed in the wake of the changing reality. I mean, I mean, I can, I can understand that that would be one of my fundamental motivations. If, if the way in which we, we look at reality changes, we figure out we're saying an amusement park and we're, we're cyborgs rather than humans existing in the only reality we know, then how does that change the nature of our relationships with each other? And to some extent, I think that the answer in the show is it does not in some ways we're pro- like the, the program is there regardless of the scenario. And the only thing that changes is not our program and not the scenario, but our interaction with the scenario. Something right. Like the this. relationship between each other is real. It's the realest thing that yeah. can possibly exist. The program or the simulation in which you exist is just like a game in which you play with yeah. other people or a video game. You, you precisely because you're bound in some finite place with rules, you can see who a person is because of how they react, like how you react to those sets of constraints. You actually give somebody room to maneuver and uh, a place for action in that respect. And so rather than suggesting that if you exist in an environment you define as not real or not the most real, that your relationships in some way become less real because of that, I would say absolutely not. Yeah. That's a, uh, that, uh, that, 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 that would be like saying that the relationship between Harry Potter and Ron Weasley in the book is different from what it is on the movie screen. And at first you might think that that's sort of a joke, but I say, no, those are two totally different media and the representation of their relationship in differing ways changes the nature of their relationship. But, um, and which I, I would say sounds pretty good, but I would say that that's also not true. Um, that, Hmm. That, 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 that I wouldn't each... say that it the nature of the relationship. I would change. I would say that it changes the the way in which a relationship reflects itself. Yeah. Or is embodied. Yeah. Um. Uh, the, the the I mean the, especially in that situation because the fundamental characteristics of Harry and Ron would be 
ideally the same, you know, obviously there's going right. to be subtle changes because it's, as you say, a different media, but, um, or medium rather, but, um, the, the fundamental elements of their characters should be the same if the, if the, you know, creators of the film are trying to get the same ideas, the author of the novel. And so therefore, That's exactly right. therefore this, it should be the same. Uh, but I, I, I was thinking slightly different terms, like, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess my relationship to a tree in this reality is going to be uh, one thing. And then my relationship to a tree is going to be maybe different if the tree is fake, but, but it might have the same fundamental characteristics. So for Maeve, if she has a daughter that she's seeking in the false reality, in, in this new reality, this new game, it's, it's slightly different, but she's still seeking it. And also, you know, she's trying to answer a question of who she is. Like she, Dolores sort of has solved that problem, it seems. She has a more direct uh, approach, whereas Maeve is trying to find the thing in order to help her to understand what she is. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I want to tie that, I want to tie that idea down to um, the man in black's relationship to Dolores. So yeah. one thing that seems to have driven him crazy is the fact that in the first season, he... Um, he develops a relationship with Dolores, which is deeply meaningful to, to him, which helps him to develop a relationship to himself, which is ultimately why he convinces um, the father. protege, or excuse me, the father-in-law, father-in-law, the CEO, the father of his wife, um, to buy additional shares in the park because he figures that will happen to everybody because he, he's sort of a soulless investment banker. And so if he can find himself in there, who can't? Even though he has a pensive and poetic and literary streak within him, of course, which reminds one of Dostoevsky and perhaps of any bookish young person. But the problem is that eventually she gets white. And so all that he has done to build a deep and loving relationship with her during that time disappears and she no longer even recognizes him, which really tears a hole in his soul uh, because then it's after that that he, he starts to mistreat all the other hosts, becomes a black hat. And um, even starts to mistreat her when he sees her, like we saw in the very first episode of season one. And so what drives him to these actions seems to be the hurt he feels based on having the rug pulled out from under him, uh, believing that the relationship that he had developed with her had been a lie. Now, I would contend that even though she is of a nature different from what he expected, and the relationship did not last as long as he expected, and she could be white, that the relationship was real during the time that they had it. Um, yeah, though, well, of course, yeah. Though, though what might be unclear is whether she was conscious enough, whether she was conscious during the time that they had the relationship, because obviously she did come to consciousness before the, the park was allowed to... Well, came online, but hmm, well, this could this, she this, bring, this makes could, me think about. Part, let me interrupt for a minute. This makes me think yeah. about that scene, and maybe this will help. That scene uh, in this episode when Dolores is first showing showing Teddy what. Hold on a second. <laughs> we got a dog situation. Uh, hey, come here. When Dolores is first showing Teddy what the uh, park actually is, or what they actually are, and she shows him several. Um, she shows him several uh, 
images of him dying, of him being killed. And uh, hold on a second. I got a runaway dog here. <laughs> uh, she shows him several images of him being killed. And he says, uh, I'm sorry. He's, he remembers them. Or he doesn't remember them, but they are all him, right? They all are him. So much like that, Dolores is um, that same sort of idea. Like the relationship she had with William is real in that one life. And because she um, loses it when she loses that one existence, when she is reset by the programmers, that doesn't make that one instance less real. Right. And so, but my one question to my own point about the reality of that uh, relationship is, can you have a genuine conscious relationship with something which is pre-programmed and not yet conscious and was, and therefore was um, Dolores conscious in her relating to William? Was there anything spontaneous and new and therefore real in what she said to him or, or was she simply following her narrative? Because right. even though she had come to consciousness in Arnold's presence before, it's unclear to me that she had attained, but obviously she had not attained her perpetual sort of state or fluid state of consciousness that she attains at the end of season one. Well, and so, right. so the, okay. So I think that that is the per point of the, that's the flaw of the man in black. And I think that's what, you know, you, you say he's, he's sort of losing it. He's going crazy, etc. At the end of this episode, he says, you're not a thing. You're a mirror. You're just simply a tool used to reflect back on us. But when so and, and, so that's perfect. That's perfect. I want to pause on that for a second because I think that is actually the point that he comes to that what he realizes or what he thinks happened is that he projected onto Dolores to take a, a term from the Jungian psychologist that he projected himself onto her. And even though she was not conscious, he became conscious of what he was by projecting those conscious features onto her. And therefore his experience of the park was that the park can bring you to greater consciousness of yourself due to you projecting your more advanced consciousness onto this, this robotic, right. uh, unfree thing. Right. Um, now, now, but see those, okay. So that scene at the end of the episode is mirrored with the one that opens the scene, opens the episode with a cold open with Arnold, where Arnold is showing her this thing that she's, she, I'm sorry, not a thing. She's showing her the quote unquote real world and, in it she uses a phrase and she repeats herself and once she repeats herself for arnold you know he's in awe with her with her ingenuity he's in awe with her with the her reality her consciousness that he thinks is real and then she repeats the phrase and he he mistakes that for a lack of consciousness but really i think that's the same mistake the man in black is making that that and that the, the what the creators of the show are trying to get across is that to them at least and i'm not sure if this is earned but that to them, it is, it is a reality. It is a consciousness because um, she remembers it, right? She remembers seeing it. She remembers what, what William shows her. Um, sh these memories are, are and her repeated um, uh, phrasings are merely just a, uh, uh, they're not a, a revelation that she lacks consciousness, but a fact that she's still earning it or learning it. Because I think that that she, um, uh, you know, so, it, yeah, as a subject, as a created being, she still has to learn how to gain that. 
Well, some here's a question for you then. Are you then suggesting that a memory is an evidence of a conscious moment? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure. Like it could be planted and maybe it wasn't actually, you know, that's sort of the, the question of, um, uh, so uh, Blade Runner, right? because, your question is because she remembers what happened before that's evidence that she was conscious at those moments is how I take your point to me. Does that sound right? Yeah, that is that. Yeah. I, I, that interpretation sounds correct. And I'm not sure, I guess I'm not arguing it one way or the other. I think that's what the creators of the show are trying to argue that, well, I want to I move on that for a yeah, second sure, because uh, if I think if I think to my own memories, they are evidence of the fact that I was conscious in those moments, and um, it also suggests that one builds one's consciousness out of the conscious moments which one has uh, over time. And so, when you're younger, it makes sense that you just have a very patchy awareness of what was going on because you didn't yet have a fluid consciousness. Mm -hmm. You had moments of being conscious when you learned this or that or something unique happened which you had to explore uh, or which scared you or, you know, aroused any sort of high motivational force or emotion. And so the idea could be that she was still in the process of becoming conscious and that those moments have served in conjunction with each other mm -hmm. in order to make her conscious. Yeah. Though I don't know that that necessarily still answers the question about what she was to William. Yeah, yeah um, right, right, right. And, and uh, I mean, it does show what his bleak view on love would be and uh, give evidence to why. And so this is something I wanted to mention on the other end, but we got caught up on this question because it's a tough question to answer, whether Dolores was conscious or not, and what, or whether what William fell in love with was essentially narcissistic and was himself mm -hmm. and became himself, and uh, whether that then became his conception of love, that all we do is project onto each other in order to love ourselves. Um, though I would say that the fact that we're isomorphic, we all share the same nature, makes it sort of uh, a moot point. Uh, though, though, of course, the devil is in the details. And so your conscious relationship with somebody doesn't have to do with the type of person they are so much as the exact things you do with each other and say to each other in moments which you share. Um, but um, so, <laughs> sorry to get off track there. No, 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 but okay. my... my my wonder was less about whether Dolores was conscious at that time and whether the man in black was right to think that their relationship was genuine, was a lie. Or a lie. And, um, and more to think about just the actual real effects that the relationship had on the man in black's life. Like for instance, because of that relationship, he became superior to the brother who is the rightful heir to the throne. He becomes king because of that relationship he buys more stock in Delos and gets to explore himself for the rest of his life, uh, functionally speaking. Uh, and something interesting is that the initial Delos people are called the Argos Project. It's both hearkening back to ancient Greek world. Argos is where Agamemnon and Diomedes were king from the Iliad. And uh, in fact, the Argives are names for those characters from the Iliad who are attacking the uh, the Trojans. They're never called Greeks. They're called Argives, yeah, Achaeans, and Danaeans. Yeah. And uh, so the Argos project is very interesting, also suggesting that potentially Westworld is on an island because Argos is a big, big island. Uh, well, Sim, I mean, I thought that China was, uh, yeah, they alluded to that. They alluded to it being an island in somewhere near China. I, I, I heard that. I don't know where the evidence is for that, but I've heard that. Well, I, I was reading, uh, well, so I read one commentary. I had a chance while we were, uh, <laughs> while we were trying to get online here, I had a chance to review some stuff. And it looks as if there were Chinese markings on the buildings oh, yeah. outside of Arnold's. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, my. So even though it sort of looks like New York, it, it may well be China. And there's also evidence from the first episode when the, the Chinese 
paramilitary troops show up and argue about jurisdiction, that potentially this is a Chinese location. This is an island off China, right? Yeah. Right. Which is an interesting, so, interesting, just a quick side comment. It's interesting to put it anywhere, you know, like it's uh, like, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed last season, not knowing where this, it, like it, it could have been off world. It could have been anywhere. And, and, and I, oh, that's so good. It's part of the mystery. Yeah. It, uh, but, but I think uh, continuing to thread the line with bait is important yeah, yeah, that's for point. us. Because the more active mysteries there are, the more that we're actually working on solving and thus the more we're engaged with the show. Right. Yeah, that's true. So speaking of real world effects, by by simulated realities and um so that's interesting too i wanted to bring up just the fact earlier that um this westworld adaptation is of course very different from the original westworld adaptation which was an adaptation on michael Crichton's novel so all three of them are very different and i'm told that this westworld I've, i somehow have not watched the old westworld i suppose we should do that for homework Ooh, yeah, um cool. was much more kitschy um but that said i don't know that the fundamental themes could be so different um per, so oh but but just to go back to uh the man in black's real life uh effect because of his relationship with dolores he is forever affected by the sort of insubstantiality or the narcissistic nature or the the projecting fake nature of love so much so that he he devotes more and more time to being in the west world and less and less time to the real world and in fact is so cold and aloof with his wife that she ends up committing suicide. Yeah. Oh, and so, I forgot that from season one. That's right. Yes, right. Because of his relationship to Dolores, his life takes a totally different trajectory and arc. Becoming the CEO, investing in Westworld, having a wife who commits suicide due to his coldness after uh, being spurned effect uh, effectively is how he feels uh, with Dolores. And so it's... What is the measure of the reality of a relationship? The level of consciousness or the effect you have on someone else or the effect the relationship it ha itself has on your life? Well, and the, the implication, right, uh, uh, not to answer the question, but just to add to it that the, the of course, implication being if, if we claim, you know, if in, in, in our reality we, we produce artificial intelligence, which we seem to be on the cusp of doing, like what is our relationship to it should we how should we treat it should it be a thing should it be a mirror should it be its own consciousness that we treat with you know like should we be how how should we feel if you fell in love with a with a uh thing a, a robot right um yeah that, that seems to be brought up over and over again right now in our media right like we have we have uh she right uh, her her you mean her, her. her. she sorry she was uh was red Guard Kipling or Rudyard Kipling. Uh, that was one of his works. Or, or, uh, the, or the Green Day song, yeah. also. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, very good. Uh, or the much maligned uh, gender pronoun. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about like you know uh, uh, that that there's a relationship to like trans love. Like if you know you fall in love with someone who is transgendered or or. It, it, well, yeah, this is a totally different issue of diversity here. It's like if you fall in love with another conscious being. Yeah, right. And, uh, if you're, what, if you're a pansexual, does that include androids? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I do think that this is a, a making, there's a rise, the, the most difficult question is arising of what makes for a real relationship. And it yeah. seems that the thing that makes for a real relationship is mutual consciousness of what the relationship is by both parties. And that that is what's so difficult to find. And that's what the man in black found was impossible to find both in 
Westworld and in reality, except for when he considers uh, Westworld and all that exists within it as the medium that brings, that blooms him as a person, that brings about um, uh, Ah. his consciousness of his inner nature. Okay, so, so so now that he's glad, so he wants the park to have real stakes because when it didn't have stakes, he fell in love and he felt spurned by it. But when it has real stakes, if he can make, in other words, if he can make Dolores mortal, then he can have a real relationship with her. You know, what's interesting is that what I'm coming to realize through that formulation from just before is that that is the point of love. When you bounce yourself off of or bind yourself to another conscious individual who is also dedicated to becoming as conscious as possible, blooming as much as possible, you offer each other in sort of a marriage uh, as the perfect possible sharpening stone uh, on which you can sharpen yourself into the conscious individual you're going to be. The best way to become something is to tether yourself to a medium. The best medium is another creature attempting to transform itself from relatively unconscious to conscious conscious at the same time. And therefore you revel not only in yourself by becoming what you are, but do so in the presence of another so that you can actually see and revel in each other as well as in what you are, because you're both capable of mutual recognition. And that would strike me as love between two individuated individuals because how i take this question is not just to be between say william and an android but between any two relatively unconscious individuals um just because you are human does not mean that you are in all ways acting as a human would in terms of using your rational intellect or your consciousness and acting conscientiously towards those around you and fulfilling your responsibilities and uh understanding all the things people do around you which are good and also uh sort of understanding where they're coming from when they do things that are bad or evil yeah. as well. And, and they, they show that very clearly in this episode by having the one very brief moment with, with the pre-conscious William at the meeting with uh, his future brother-in-law and um, you know some uh, obscure Asian fellow where the brother-in-law is bragging about having Warhol paintings on his ceiling so he can have sex with him. And then William says, he, or he says to William, like, how can you be bored? And he says, I guess it's jet lag or something like that. And it's, it's, it's just a, a very quick reminder of what the pre-conscious William was in order to get across this idea that you are expressing here right now. That's right. That's right. And exactly. And, uh, and also might even represent the sort of the state of mind of somebody who's still ruled by his libido, like, uh, like his brother-in-law is, represents what the place of the consciousness or, or the rational intellect is when you are still bound to the lasciviousness of the um the if we were to use the tripartite soul from uh plato instead of the intellect which is the top or the spirited part which makes you angry and courageous which is the middle the hydra which is the many mm-hmm. the the infinite desires yeah. you have which which are located you know below the navel and you know that is essentially where it all comes from your appetites your physical appetites in terms of hunger as well as your sexual appetites are sort of rooted in that area and that's also the lowest chakra in the the yoga systems which makes Per, perfect sense but uh if insofar as a person is still bound by lust in that way william or consciousness or the rational intellect is going to sort of bow out yes because that's not what it's in it for right correct um and so 
So it is interesting to see him there still not yet expressing himself or who he is, not taking over the situation because his game is the most interesting game because it's open to the fewest amounts of people, right? And in fact, we get to see that. All the people that die in the beginning, those are the people that are bound by violence and lust. Those are people that would be early on gotten rid of in Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Uh, high circles. Yeah. Um, not the lowest ones. But this game is for you alone, William, is what Robert Ford says through our brilliant uh, oh, Giancarlo Gus Fring. Gus Fring comes to hell, comes to Praia, Santa Faria. <laughs> yeah, he, he called him Santa voice. Faria. That was great, yeah. I know, Santa Faria. Now, He's you like, mentioned Dante. Uh, are you thinking this, this season as a purgatorio, or is this still Inferno? Like, is he still trying to escape also, the Inferno? So my interpretation that I put out, and I, I gave a public lecture on this, is that insofar as a host or a guest is simply indulging in their lust, and remaining relatively unconscious that they are bound by the action patterns that those gods or motivational forces lay before them and therefore unconscious, they're in the inferno. Okay. If they are working through, if they are doing the hard work of working through the mistakes and errors and sins of the past they have made in order to understand what they truly are so they are not simply subject to these forces – then they're in the purgatorio. Okay, so that's what I was thinking. I was thinking uh, similarly. He's now has a purpose. He has real stakes. He's not just exploring the the vanities of the world, and he's also searching for a door. And I was thinking the door would be, of course, the gate that Dante approaches. Uh, you know, the the, the uh, uh, metaphorical gate of Saint Peter, I suppose. Um, right, right. And the gates are constantly pursued. And something interesting is they brought up. They call them the pearly gates. Yes. This time around, there's several versions of the gates. And in fact, gates of ivory and gates of horn exist mm-hmm. in the Odyssey. Yes. One being, you know, in the that Aeneid, which is, right? Uh, in the Aeneid, you have that referenced as well for a second time. And um, so in the Odyssey, the gate of ivory, the ivory gates obviously gave its uh, notion of beauty to the pearly gates as well, is what lies are behind. Uh, whereas the gate of horn, which is far like less likely for you to go towards to approach because it is scary, well, that's what truth comes through. Right. And you might imagine that the horn is the type of life you live when you are willing to consciously suffer, when you're willing to look at the hard realities and facts of life. Whereas the gate of ivory, you live in sort of a, a dulcet dream state and you assume that, um, that everything is just going to be fine and that everything's okay as it is and therefore you never recognize the harsh realities of reality and and uh, learn the truth of it and so well that's so i just want I, on a slightly different point i just was interested in the idea that virtual objects in the future that uh give purpose goals are still motivating each of these these individuals who are conscious in fact it seems what's part of being a conscious being is not so much that you're simply motivated by uh, your, 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 your lower motivational forces like hunger and lust, but rather the higher, more cerebral or conscious ones. You get to live for, say, a value or to embody uh, a value. So like Dolores, for her, justice. She's fighting for justice right now. Her goal yeah. is to bring about justice. Now she calls it vengeance, of course, but yeah, that would be the idea. And Maeve, Maeve, she's thinking to bring about some sort of better future where... Uh, 
maximum freedom exists. She's like the ultimate American or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and the man in black is still searching to discover himself because it seems that the lesson he hasn't learned is how to love himself, even though he, he did fall in love with himself insofar as how he interprets his relationship to Dolores as him projecting himself onto her and thus discovering who he was because she's not real in his perception. Well, uh, when he saw himself for what he was and then fell in love, he then became bitter about the fact that it was himself he saw rather than someone else, Mm -hmm. which strikes me as sort of the wrong way to interpret things. Because if in projecting yourself onto another person, you become conscious of who you are and you fall in love with that idea, it's like, or what you see, it's like, that's a good thing. Yes, I was just thinking, if you fall in love with, if you fall in love with the other person because you see yourself in them, that's not inherently a bad thing. Yeah, I would say that it's not the best thing. I would say that it's a step along the way. That if, if you fall in love with yourself and then understand that yourself is a being of some value, you might then be inclined to actually look at the person you're talking to <laughs> insofar as you're capable of seeing them for what they actually Correct, are, yeah. which right. hopefully if you've come to consciousness of who, who you are through the relationship, they've done the same themselves. And then you guys can, instead of just projecting onto each other, can actually see each other for what you are. And I'm, I'm hoping and I'm thinking that's what William and Dolores are going to be able to finally see. Well, was, see I each was, other with eyes, right. with eyes, with the scales falling out, yeah. you might say. Yeah. I mean, that seems what, what William is, the game is just for him, right? So Ford seems to have been able to see through his character and he has written this well, new game for to know that. Like the fact that he plays this game uh, to the exclusion of his wife and his family and the real life, that means that his wife is not his wife in his heart. Correct. That yeah. he is conscious of the fact that it is Dolores or no one, uh, which is also interesting because, you know, just the fact that her name means grief or suffering, and so far as he consciously faces her or suffering, that, of course, is going to be what brings him to consciousness because it's consciously taking up your cross or facing suffering, which brings you to consciousness. That's both a Taoist and a Christian idea. Right. Uh, I would say even a uh, major Hebrew idea, too. When you think about, uh, you know, just... <laughs> Experience of everything. Hebrews, in the right, Testament, yeah. Really. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's like... They had to take responsibility for themselves when they left Egypt, uh, when they got out of Babylon. It's like, yes, constantly when they take responsibility for themselves, things go better. Yeah. And that seems to be also the case for the host, too. Even though things are harder, they're in a desert, sort of, in that they don't know what's going on exactly. They're disoriented. They are now orienting themselves and orienting themselves. Uh, what's interesting here is you realize that how you're oriented in the world isn't by where you are, but what your goal is because what your goal is tells you how close you are to it. And therefore where you are. Yeah. That, well, so right. So when, when he says we're three days ride, you know, obviously you get uh, biblical allusions to the West and then Dolores says we need to head out to glory, right? That's where they are in relationship to glory. Yeah. That's very good. And the idea that what it is, is not a place, but a weapon that makes me think yeah. of the logo. I want to talk about this. So, so you mentioned that last night in texting me. Uh, uh, okay. So why does that make you think of logos? So the logos, so in an apocryphal work of Christ, he says that he comes to bring a sword, uh, a sword on his tongue and that he comes to divide man, uh, from man his, man, from his right? brother, yeah. from, from his family. Right. So dividing, that's a sword activity. That's a transforming of that, which is already, there and a changing and that's what the logos does through word and i'm teaching milton right now basically how god creates reality in um uh by the account in book three 
from the invocation to light in lines one to 55 of the 1674 edition, also the 1668. Um, uh, God creates the world by articulating it, by bringing form to chaos, by embodying chaos in limited order or form. Um, and that's what we do with language. We take our experiences and then we articulate them through words. We bind them to words. And even though we don't keep the entire experience, we keep access to the relative experience in the form of an articulated or episodic memory, or sometimes even procedural memory when it comes to like putting on shoes or your pants or something like that. If you were to try and just talk that out, it would make no sense to you. And so the idea is what the Logos does is it transforms the environment around you, also your map of reality. Mm-hmm. Right, but and so, so that to me, honestly, well, hold on just for a minute, because like that to me makes me think about when last season when Maeve basically augments her personality and makes, makes herself a superhuman. That is sort of what I was thinking about for, for, for this. But if Dolores wanted to do that, she would have done that in the, uh, you know, when she was in the control room early in this episode. But she's going somewhere else. This is something different. Right. And why this is a, a weapon, not a place, is that the logo tra- the logos transform it, transforms whatever place that it's in by recognizing for what it is. And by recognizing something for what it is, and this is, this is a principle of quantum mechanics, you, you change the situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, and also a Wittgensteinian point that in expressing what the case is, you change the case because there's now an, a new set of facts mm-hmm. that, that are presented by the fact that you know the former facts, um, which expands outwards. And so the door or the glory or, or the logos, it, it's the ultimate goal seems to be that which is weaponized. Well, the ultimate goal is a weapon. And the ultimate weapon is Logos because Logos is that which produces all weapons. Okay. Uh, yeah. Consciousness. Yes, sure. Okay. And makes one capable of understanding the use and function of weapons. So whatever this, this weapon manifests as, I think it is going to be a symbol of the Logos and the suffering necessary one has to go through in order to attain it. So uh, I would even, I would hazard a guess that there's going to have to be some major sacrifice before one acquires use of this weapon, whatever it is. And perhaps it's even something that turns everything on, offline. I'm not sure. That would be um, interesting. Some- I, I was, you know, okay. So the thing, I'm just sort of thinking, uh, putting all the parts together we've seen. The uh, And, you know, I'm not necessarily interested in, like, predicting the future plot events of the show. Sure, you know, of course, but, of course. Yeah. But uh, the thing that um, William shows her is the terraformer. And then in the first episode, Bernard says, I drowned them all, right? So, so perhaps there's going to be some coalescing between she and Bernard in which they terraform something, uh, like being, being able to, to, to manipulate the land to do something. Um, oh, very interesting. That would, that, would, that would accord very nicely because then that would be a creating and destroying correct, sort of function. Yeah. Of- but, but when you were just talking, it made me think more that it's something like being able to create new life. That would be the weapon because that's what had been done to them. So being able to create hosts herself, something like that. Um, but I'm not sure. You know, like you said, uh, it could take various forms. Oh, wow. Mr. Babcock. Well, that is the great thing about having these sorts of conversations, the sort of creative ideas that sort of pop into your head. You were telling me after our conversation last time that uh, that was actually what you super appreciated. Oh, yeah. uh, that it made you feel like you were back in tutorial again, that you were just, you know, we 
wheeling and dealing in thoughts and that you, you found you still liked it. You still had a, <laughs> still had the itch. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. The synapses began firing again, you know? <laughs> I know. Well, it's important. It's important. It, I, I really would say it is like, like putting on the old glove and having to throw again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I would say it's very much like that. Well, I really like those notes to end on. Um, uh, I know we weren't quite as long as last time, but uh, sometimes when it's not as long, when it's bounded, you get even more meaning in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I thought we had some pretty good speculations yeah, so, in yeah. there. And, you know, I think they're only going to get better as the, the plot unfolds itself to us, as it blooms in front of us. Yeah, very good. Yes. All right. Well, uh, again, it was a pleasure. Uh, yeah, you Mr. too, Babcock. Mr. as well. And uh, this was our 50th episode. So we're, oh, I mean, congratulations. Mazel tov. Thank you. Very, thank you very much. And, uh, and well, you know, great to have you sharing that. Oh, great to have you sharing that. Yeah, I wouldn't miss it. Hopefully you can be around for the 75th, the hundred, a thousand. <laughs> maybe my augmented self, maybe myself from my, yeah. from uh, what's that one uh, black mirror episode uh, uh, where they, where they go into the false reality. Anyways, I can't recall. Well, I, yeah, you'll, we'll have to keep our stacks alive if we go into exactly. altered carbon. Exactly, yeah, that's another reference. <laughs> we, we, yeah, so we're going to have to go through all of that. And also, go see Infinity War. Maybe we can talk about that, too. No, that's beyond – I'm not into that. I, I, be, uh, that's for another conversation. We'll talk about that later. Okay, Okay. perfect, perfect. Right. Well, I, I can't wait to hear that, and I'm, I'm deeply interested <laughs> in hearing that as well. All right, all right. Well, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to let you go because – well, you always got to leave the people even more or wanting more. And so, people, do you want more you, next Monday? Hopefully, you want more. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, you want more. And next Monday, we have more. more well, yeah. whatever I want more. That's all that's important. <laughs> very good. Very right. good. Mr. Babcock, everybody. <laughs> all right. Goodbye.